and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. We're going to review some Champions League, and to help me do that is not Daryl Grove. Daryl is in Boston. Instead, I've got a man who's no longer on the beach, unlike RB Leipzig. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tate. As I take my flip-flops off, RB Leipzig put theirs on. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. So if you have uh, returned from vacation, you're no longer on the beach, the flip-flops are off. Does that mean you're putting on your recording shoes? Do you have the shoes that you need, the proper footwear, to put in a proper podcast performance? That was a lot of peas real fast. I, that's what she said. I think um, I, I, I'm back in. That doesn't make any sense either. It kind of does. I, it's I, I'm, I'm technically, if I've come back from vacation, am I back in preseason? So maybe I'm wearing some new cleats right now. Uh, so maybe I'm just breaking them into. No, this this conversation not going well. Well, so far. it actually does kind of transition pretty well because I would argue that if you are in preseason form, potentially, I would say there were moments in this game when RB Leipzig looked like they were in preseason form because RB Leipzig obviously lose three nil in their Champions League semifinal to PSG. PSG make the Champions League final for the the first time since they were spending those billions of dollars to bring in those players. Uh, I'm starting off on a cynical note. I don't want to do that because what do we make? of PSG finally getting to that Champions League final. Obviously, they would like to win one more game to make it that they won the final. But were you as surprised that PSG have been this successful in in this competition? Because I think for both French teams, to be honest, I sort of overlooked them, not just because of historical implications, but because their season was prematurely ended. I didn't think they were going to be sort of match fit. I didn't think they were going to have the sharpness. And instead, obviously, PSG thus far have impressed. So too have Lyon. So how, how impressed, how surprised are you, Ryan, by PSG's run? I am pretty surprised, I say. I think if you look at the bracket, for example, round of 16, I would have expected them not to get past Borussia Dortmund. Quarterfinals, I would have expected them not to get past Atalanta. They were my hot tip to go deep in this competition. Uh, a bit disappointed that they didn't. Semi-finals, I would have expected them to have played Atletico Madrid and not got through that either. So uh, for them to be this far in is very impressive. Bully for them. And it's vindication for the owners of this club who um, took over the uh, club, the uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund that took over yes. in 2011. This is what they have been building this club for. It's, they've not been building this club to win Liga every season. They've been building this club to get to this game. They have been bringing in players like Neymar and, uh, and Kylian Mbappe to get to this game. Mm-hmm. So this is what it's all about for them. And have I been positive about PSG for too long now? Well, no, no. I, I, I'm with you because <laughs> I think we are going to talk more about how PSG got this done, what we make of them, what we expect from them going forward. But I think we can start with a sort of obvious talking point, which is that this game was, I think I kept seeing it seen as like the lesser of two evils eventually mm-hmm. advanced because you have RB Leipzig. The RB stands for Rosenball Sport, but we know it's also sort of stands for Red Bull. Uh, we sure have PSG. Can. You've already mentioned that uh, and their connections there. So it was sort of two teams that don't have a ton of natural fans. I know there are some out there who probably live in Leipzig and live in Paris. Uh, even then, not that many fans in Paris. But I think it's strange to me because as an American, I think because of Tyler Adams, because of the, the Red Bull New York connection, and also mm. because I think sort of from an American mindset of like franchises and it doesn't, it doesn't seem that odd to buy a team, change the name, put a bunch of money into them. That might just be me, but I don't have that same hang up with Leipzig that I do about PSG. And I think part of that is certainly Tyler Adams. I think part of that is the American mindset. So I'm wondering for you, Ryan, how did you feel about these two teams in this semifinal? 
I think that's a completely fair assessment you've had there, Taylor. Um, particularly, I understand the American mindset with being familiar with Red Bull, being having an, a, a big American player on RB Leipzig. That's that's completely understandable. And also from the relative youth of these teams, uh, these two teams' combined age is 61. These two teams are the same combined age as Carlo Ancelotti's single age, which is kind of incredible for two teams who've made the Champions League semi-finals. Yeah. And I do think for the organisers, uh, let's call them UEFA of this competition. This is not a great semi-final for them if you think of maybe broadcasting because Mm -hmm. uh, for the neutral, not many teams as we've established outside of hardcore fans of these teams are going to like these two teams. This is this is political influence versus rampant commercialization in these two teams. It's a, a state-owned sovereign wealth fund against a marketing branding exercise that bought its place in the German league. Let's not forget that they bought their mm-hmm. place from a fifth-tier division team. And there's all sorts of, you know, I, I think from a European perspective, yeah, being 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 owned by a state that you know has a questionable human rights record and uh, and is using potentially using this team allegedly using this team as a means of soft power is probably a bit more serious than trying to sell um, mm. fizzy taurine based drinks. But still, there's there's a there's much malignment for these two teams, and I don't know. I, I do feel a bit of a softening towards Paris Saint Germain. Mm-hmm. I'll say based on this based on this performance. I would. Agree. I think that's that is a great point, Ryan. Or like at the very least, I completely agree with you because in the past, and maybe if this were PSG Dortmund, or if they were if this were PSG, maybe even Liverpool. Though I'm a Man United fan, and it would physically hurt me to cheer for Liverpool. Like I think I would probably automatically paint PSG as the villains and go back to Neymar rolling on the floor and not liking Anahel Di Maria much for his time at Manchester United. And mm. I think maybe it's because they're playing Leipzig, and even though I like Tyler Adams, I don't have as strong of a connection to that team. So I see them sort of as what they are right now, which is a well-coached team that worked really hard and played really, really well. And I found them fun to watch. And I think they will give us, a, a at the very least, a decently exciting final. So I think I'm less like bothered by PSG in the final than I would have expected to be if you told me this was going to be yeah. the result at the beginning of the season. Let me try and work an analogy on the fly here. I think in previous years, Paris Saint-Germain have been, when you went to a house party when you were younger, they were the kid who showed up in really nice jacket with like really expensive jeans in their mm-hmm. dad's BMW. <laughs> yep. And nobody, you know, they, they mm-hmm. had all the stuff, but nobody really liked them. And they were just there because they were, they naturally were going to be there. Now, maybe they're the rich and classy person who shows up to the party a little bit more, a little bit more uh, mature. Mm-hmm. And I think this was a much more mature Paris Paris Saint-Germain team, not least because Neymar has matured a lot. I think, you know, less kicking out of fouls, less, he just gets on with it now. I think we saw that in several instances and we saw, you know, there were several replays where Neymar, he would have sort of rolled on the floor, he would have made a fuss of a foul, doesn't, has done a lot less of that. And when you look at the fact that in this game and in the quarterfinal, uh, Neymar or, I think I'm correct in saying Mbappe didn't score in either game. So maybe a team that was once made up of individual megastars and had an awful lot of ego running through it, maybe that team is operating more like a proper actual unit of a team, mm-hmm. with, which is following a fastidious plan laid out in very Germanic fashion by their very Germanic manager. Which is still a strange thing to say about a team that have, as you mentioned, spent the money they spent to bring in players like Neymar and Mbappe and Verratti and Cavani, who is still in there. Um, but yeah, I, I take your point, and I would extend your analogy further to like if the first year they showed up in their like dad's BMW blasting music <laughs> that they like totally loved, and then when you asked them about it, you realized they knew nothing, and so they got a little bit exposed 
exposed. And then the next year they showed up and you realized that they weren't actually driving because they couldn't drive a stick. And every single year they sort of kept doing the same stuff but not really changing and never feeling like they had almost earned it. And it does yeah. seem like this year because of the way they've played, because of the, the way they set up and adjusted their game from game to game, that hasn't been that just like, we're going all out attack, we're PSG, we win every game 7-0 in the league, so we'll win this game 2-0 and that will be enough. It feels like there's been a lot more nuance to their performance and I think that makes them even more captivating. Yeah, and can I add, by the way, to that analogy, the kid at the party was also wearing a Von Dutch baseball cap and one of those T-shirts with Diamantes on it spelling out the ACDC logo and he's never heard one of their songs. Oh, man, you described a very <laughs> specific person there. Wow, all right. <laughs> so then, So then, what did you have sort of any expectations for this game before it started? Because I don't know if I did. I think... I maybe thought Leipzig would get past PSG because I think some of that sort of doubt about PSG was lingering, though I have faith mm-hmm. in Thomas Tuchel. I wasn't sure if they were going to adjust their game plan, if they would cause Leipzig problems. I felt like everything we had heard from Nagelsmann was that they had watched a ton of footage, identified PSG's vulnerabilities, identified what they want to do. They had plans to shut that down. They had plans to exploit those vulnerabilities. I think I gave the edge to Leipzig. Where were you in the battle before kickoff? Yeah, I was I was fairly undecided. I could see how Leipzig could have taken this one based on that performance against Atletico Madrid where they sort of, you know, pounced and took their chances. And looking at when the team sheets came out, Taylor, when you saw that midfield of Paris Saint-Germain where you've got Onda Herrera, Marquinhos and uh, Paredes on mm-hmm. the left-hand side, that does not strike me as a Champions League final no. midfield. Not least, not even a Champions League semi-final midfield. So that was, I was thinking they could get the better of them and we know how um, Leipzig liked to overload in, in the midfield field and switch from back three to back four when they're in possession and I thought that they might have the advantage in the middle of the pitch and be able to get up there and uh, and get past uh, a Paris Saint-Germain mm-hmm. uh, back line which isn't impenetrable but it was today wasn't it, it <laughs> I think basically the, the issue was today that Leipzig essentially didn't show up they were a shadow of the team they've been previously they were more like Leipzig who kept drawing games when the Bundesliga came back I felt than, than, uh, than the uh, all-conquering Leipzig we've seen in this composition thus far I would agree I, I, I did have that hesitation about like Leipzig have had the break coming back in are they gonna hit the ground running I thought they were gonna trip up against Atletico I thought Atletico Madrid would get past them I want to mm-hmm. emphasize that I'm saying Atletico I just when I say fast say Atletico I'm not saying Atletico not that blasphemous but I thought sure. they would struggle in that first game and that they really did cause Atleti so many problems. Diego Simeone afterwards said, like, yes, they deserve to advance. They played a great game. It mm. seemed to me like, oh, okay, they are sort of back to business. This is the Leipzig we've come to expect. And yet, in this game, I do think there is something to be said for them. They're ahead of their schedule in terms of what their project timeline was for where the team would be. So I think that's worth remembering from the standpoint of it is easy to be sort of overwhelmed in the moment by being in a Champions League semifinal. And you contrast that with PSG, who've been not to the semifinal before, but have many players who've played in many big competitions and have made it to the Champions League final and won it uh, with different teams. Again, stressing that. I I do (laughs) think there's something to be said for the experience mattering. I think especially once PSG go ahead. But I also think PSG, to some extent, game plan better for what Leipzig were going to do than Leipzig did for PSG. I think that's a really valid point, Taylor. And as much as we can look down upon Leipzig's rise in 11 years from the fifth tier of German soccer right to, uh, to this stage, that is an impressive timeline. It's very, very rapid. And Julian Nagelsmann is a great manager, but he's 
is he like he's younger than Leo Messi, isn't he? If not the same age as Leo same Messi, same age, but maybe a little bit younger by like days. Yeah, and he was so overwhelmed in this game that he got dressed in a magic eye puzzle. <laughs> I was wondering how long it would take us to talk about Nagelsmann's wardrobe. Like, I, like, was that his, like, this is my big game attire? Do you think, what, what do you think was the goal there? Let's pause for a moment and talk about wardrobe. So usually, he wears sort of the Bundesliga uniform of men in their 30s, yeah. which is uh, white sneakers, jeans, and sort of a white open shirt. That's, that's what you see in a lot of, Bund- a lot of German men of that mm-hmm. age. Uh, and he's, he's just gone completely... He, he almost went an, an attempt at being Parisian chic, which didn't quite come off. The, <laughs> the no socks, plimsolls, shoes, the tie matching the shirt with the tie, which doesn't have the pointy end. It has the straight end on it. Uh, the shirt, the, 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 the design of the suit, as I say, which was a bit like oh, it, it could have been a magic eye puzzle. It could have been the pattern on uh, the seats of a train in Portugal or something like that. It was quite something. And what it made me wonder, Taylor, is if that's the decision he made from his wardrobe mm-hmm. to wear at the semi-final what was in his wardrobe that he thought was too much for this occasion that is a very good question i'm gonna assume there was the <laughs> giant white uh nike shirt with the big red check that he wore a couple games in the restart what i thought you were gonna say and what i would usually be like loathe i would not want to go down this road but there's an argument to be made that like this was him sort of doing something different changing it up maybe overthinking it a little bit and i think that sort of extends to his selections as well i think mm. he tried to be a little bit too clever and Almost, to some extent, I think, tried to game plan specific players in specific moments, so much so that when PSG adjusted away from that, I think he thought Neymar is going to be critical on the ball, and obviously he was pretty good on the ball. I think he was worried about Mbappe. I don't think he was worried about, say, the aforementioned under Herrera. And I think one of the little like tactical adjustments that I found fascinating was Ander Herrera consistently when PSG were in possession would move from a defensive position maybe 20 yards further forward and kept hmm. standing between when Leipzig were in their sort of 5-4-1 defensive shape. He would go between those lines. And I think there was confusion over who needed to step to him. And on a couple of occasions, it would be, say, Kevin Campbell was just like, oh, OK, I'll go mark him because he's open. They'd play the ball into Ander Herrera. He would take a touch. Kevin Campbell slides over. He would drop it back. And then the ball would go into Neymar, who was now in a bit more space because of that little movement. And I think moments like that, it seemed like he had so specifically game-planned that then when there's a little bit of an adjustment, when Ander Herrera is suddenly in the attacking third, it seemed as though Leipzig were more or less incapable of handling it. And really, I think we saw the rigidity in their approach on display when they can't adapt to things as the situation is changing. They don't adapt to a double short corner, two in a row that lead to the free kick that leads to the goal. Yeah. I do wonder if he was so focused on what PSG might be doing in certain ways that he wasn't really ready for them to change it up when it came to their approach. So he's Pep Guardiola this up, basically. A little he? bit, in, I think in a, so. In a word, because he did... He did uh, he has been, uh, I wouldn't say completely rigid. They did try and change the system several times during true, this game very to, true. to no avail. But uh, starting off the game, was it like a 4-1-4-1, which would switch to a th- back three with a five in the middle with mm-hmm. the traditional Angelino moving up to midfield, kind of not dissimilar to what we've seen Mourinho do, particularly when he first came to Tottenham, where he'd have Sergio Aurier blast up the field when they're in attacking um, uh, movements. Uh, but that, that was... Um, well, he'd usually do like a four-two-three-one, right? And it was four-one-four-one in this game. Am I am I right in thinking when they start? I mean, he off? does he does lots of different things. Sometimes it's a four-two-three-one. Sometimes it's a four-two-two-two-two-two-two-two-two-two. Yeah, I, think I might have got a couple too many twos in there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, first of all, I take your point that yes, he does adjust things at least. 
twice, once at halftime, once in the second half. He may have changed yeah. things up even before that. So he definitely does try different things, but I, I, I don't think any of them necessarily were able to effectively deal with a lot of what PSG were trying to do. Yeah, and it just it just seems that all the weapons they had they they just kind of failed with. You know, this this team lives and dies on its speed in transition, mm-hmm. and full credit to, to to the PSG back line for just stopping everything that was coming their way. And I think this is a game where they really really miss Timo Werner. There was a moment yeah. in the first half, I want to think, I want to say it's something like 25 minutes in, where I think um, Sabitzer, he sort of pulled away from Paredes, got, got away from him, who didn't, it was probably, Paredes might have been the weak link in, in Paris Saint-Germain if they had one, and cut the ball back to Paulson, where he put the ball wide, and it, it was just a, a moment where I thought Timo Werner would have scored that. And yeah. I think there was one or two other... M- points where that happened and when he switched to put two up top at the end and Schick, I think Schick had a decent chance which which yep. uh, didn't go that way as well and it's one of those moments where you think well, maybe you shouldn't have sold your best player um, <laughs> <laughs> before the, you reach the Champions League semi-final so that that was a d- disappointing for, for Leipzig and I think they just couldn't get the ball. I think after the first half, they had something like 30% possession. Mm. I'm surprised to read that they ended the game with 45% possession. They did come back into it a little bit more between the second and the third goals. It looked like they were trying to make a game of it, to be fair. But it, it just like they, get, they were given no space in midfield whatsoever by Paris, uh, Paris Saint-Germain. I think full credit to, to the French team f- for doing that and... and some really good performances. Marquinhos was superb. Uh, Kimpembe was superb. Mm-hmm. Just you know, there were lots of lots of players doing their job properly in in Tuchel's team. They were indeed. I want to talk more about some of those specific players and some of those specific moments. But first, I'd like to talk about today's sponsor. It's HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit delivery service. HelloFresh lets you skip trips to the grocery store. And right now, who wants to go to the grocery store? The answer is no one. That And they <laughs> simultaneously make uh, home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. All three of those things are ideal. Over 90% of ingredients <laughs> are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes Ooh. are delivered to your door and they go straight in your fridge. Taylor, I've got a friend who uses HelloFresh and it's a wonderful service. I use it too, I should say. But uh, this person uses it very, very religiously. Um, in their fridge, they put a, a picture on Instagram stories just all the HelloFresh containers really? lined up like American Psycho style. <laughs> that is, there is that line, right? Because it can be awesome and it can be like a really useful way to make a meal quickly. And we've talked about that in the past that uh, you can have them on your table in like 30 minutes, sometimes even 20 minutes. But simultaneously, yep. yeah, if you have a whole fridge of just compartmentalized food, at a certain point, it, it becomes worrisome. I'll say that. I look, it looked like they were an astronaut. It was impressive. But I'm, uh, I look at how disorganized my fridge is, and I, I aspire to that. And uh, there, there's nothing wrong with that at all. HelloFresh offers fresh, high-quality ingredients every single week for a superb, flavorful experience. And I think this person doesn't like having this stressful meal planning, which uh, mm. all of us are familiar with, and those grocery store trips, which we don't need to do right now, as you say. Uh, you can just go in there. Get your little uh, uh, tubs of HelloFresh and get tubs, it started. Tubs of HelloFresh. That was a poor phrase. <laughs> and if you want, but if you do want even more uh, containers, uh, you can keep your fridge stocked by adding extra prote- proteins or specific sides like garlic bread to your weekly order. It's mm. also equally to change the delivery dates on those orders. So if you're going to be out of town or you know you're not going to need it until the latter half of the week, you can change it up that way so it fits your schedule. Ryan, if people would like to uh, get HelloFresh, but maybe all also not have to pay full price uh i believe there's a way to do it would you like to tell them how to do it or would you prefer if I, I, would, I told them how 
I would have no more, no greater pleasure than Thank to explain you, Thank how you, folks out there could Lovely. benefit from HelloFresh. If they will have the internet, which they probably do because uh-huh. they're listening to a podcast right now, HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS, that's 80TSS, mm-hmm. and use the code 80TSS to get a total of, you guessed it, $80 off, including out. free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. But that's HelloFresh.com slash 80TSS <laughs> to use the code 80TSS. 80 bucks off. Imagine what you could spend $80 on. More HelloFresh, that's what I say. More HelloFresh, indeed. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Ryan for rolling that R. It was phenomenal. Let's talk about some goals, shall we? Let's start with number one, which happens in the 13th minute, courtesy of a Marquinhos header from an amazing ball in from Angel Di Maria. But uh, as I said earlier, what I want to start with is that PSG get a corner. They take it as a normal corner. I think they then earn a second one. They take that one short. They earn another one, and then they take that one short, and that leads to the name foul and right there not in the moment in the moment i thought like oh this is just amazing delivery from angel di maria it's a great header from marquinhos but in retrospect looking at that again and realizing like this is psg doing like specific things that they have clearly practiced and rehearsed Mm. and leipzig do not change their defensive approach even when it becomes clear and i'm sure ryan you've played in games like this where it's like oh the team took a short corner that time they might do it again we're going to send two defenders out this time they really don't change it up that much and that does allow anel di maria and neymar to have another passing sequence and it then means that somebody has to come out and overcommit and concede that foul and i think in retrospect right there maybe those are the warning signs even if neymar almost scores in the first like 5 minutes i think that one was one where i thought they are not adapting and psg seemed to have changed it up and seemed to be pretty dominant i wonder how that will change and it did not uh i've talked about the lead up to that goal ryan do you have thoughts on the goal itself because i know that you were uh very much enjoying the delivery and the header oh very much indeed that was wonderful wasn't it man how dear maria that delivery and the header of course from marquinhos who seemed to jump like ronaldo levels off of the floor for a man who was they said he was six feet tall on the commentary i'm not convinced and he might be on his tiptoes when he got that measured but a very very good goal and when you when you talk about that build-up by the way and and the way that there was the repeat corners is that just two very stubborn german men on the sideline saying again Again, do it again. <laughs> again. <laughs> or was I rushing or dragging? Do it again. They're just insisting that it happens again and again. And, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was really good. And when I first saw it, Taylor, I was just thinking, how do you defend against that? Because yeah. it was perfectly done. And mm-hmm. there's no defending anything against that run that Marquinhos made. And then I thought, well, maybe you could just, you know do a little better job maybe the keeper could have done actually a better job of coming out that actually would be marking idea. players would have, would have been a good idea i suppose you're right there and then i think um jamie carragher on the cbs uh, um um coverage at half time he made the good point that kimpembe um sort of blocks yeah. um some of the some of the leipzig players and creates space behind the line for Marquinhos to run in and very much emphasizing that, that that is a textbook training ground routine that they pulled off successfully there but just a really, really well executed opening go from Paris Saint-Germain. There. Yeah, I think it can be, as we say, things can be two things. I didn't even mean to do that, but we stumbled upon it anyway. That the delivery is inch perfect. It is a great, powerful header. I mean, it's it's like if Marquinhos puts that on frame, it's going in, and he did, so credit to him. But mm. it can also be the case that it's it's those sort of moments and how do you defend against that. But simultaneously, it is also, as you said, it's Kimpembe blocking off, I believe it was Paulson. 
who I have to believe his job was to attack any balls coming in low, sort of at the near post or mid-range. Maybe he gets to that, but he is just screened off enough. It's not a full-on like pick where he knocks him down. It's yeah. just enough interference that he has to adjust his run. But I think also, I believe it was Klosterman, who just doesn't get goal side of Marquinhos at all, and is then always going to be reacting to the play as opposed to being in a better position to attack it or to kind of knock him off his run. And so I think you don't have uh, any of the PSG runners disrupted. You don't have Marquinhos have to take a step back or take a step to the side. Uh, and instead, it's only the Leipzig players who have to adjust what they're doing. And I think that goes a big way towards explaining that first goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it felt like, that the, was it me or at that point was the game almost over? So I wanted to ask you that as well, because I think you tweeted out around halftime this this one feels pretty much done. Like, and yeah. credit to you, you know enough to say, like, I don't want to jinx it. I'm not trying to be premature conclusions or anything like that. I was with you, though. Maybe not quite after this goal, but it did feel like in a moment, like, ooh, we had Neymar get played in fairly easily, and he misses that chance, doesn't take his chance, whatever you want to go with there. Yeah. Then we have this goal, and I felt like if we don't see an immediate response from Leipzig, things are going to get worse, and I think yeah. they make enough of an adjustment, sort of, to not let PSG have as much freedom as they ha- had had in the beginning of the game. But I also don't think we saw them really do anything that allowed them to be in better attacking positions. And I'm with you that I think instead of Timo Werner finding little spots, finding little openings, causing problems, I think I feel like I remember three different times when Sabitzer takes a shot from outside the box that we just knew wasn't going to go on frame, at the very very least wasn't going to go in the goal. And there were moments in the first half and in the second half where you could see Forsberg has one when he comes on in the second half where it was just like, he's going to cross this ball. He's going to cut to it, like cut to the left and then cross that ball in. And it was telegraphed for five seconds. And then he goes and does it. And by then somebody's closed it down and blocked out the cross. PSG retained possession. And even those little adjustments, it seemed like Leipzig were trying to stop the bleeding rather than than being proactive and recognizing, oh, this is a vulnerability, we've addressed that, now let's play our game and we'll kind of make things happen. Yeah. So I wasn't quite in that, like, this game is over, but I was definitely in a, this could easily get out of hand quickly if Leipzig don't make enough adjustments. Yeah, I think there's some games when you watch, even that early on, maybe I'm being a bit cheeky after 13 minutes saying it's over, but there's some games where you watch where you think early on, something has to change a lot for one of these teams to get back into it. And I think this was certainly the case. And that that chance for Paulson where I mentioned that Werner would have taken it, I think it was about 25 minutes. That was the point when I thought, okay, uh, yeah, this isn't going to go your way today. And I think shortly after, Neymar had that free kick attempt where he did, where it was clear he was watching the championship uh, playoff final, the the, the Joe Bryan (laughs) special, where he sort of bent the free kick uh, low and to the opposite way and hit the the post with it. Um, And that was when you thought, okay, they are the Globetrotters spinning the ball on their finger at this point. Point. Yeah, um, yeah, no, and, and and sorry to jump in for a moment if you don't mind, but I think do you mind first of all? Of course, but continue. Okay, thank you. Um, like uh, again, whenever I say like I've played in a game like this, I don't mean the Champions League semifinal. I've obviously not played in that level, but I have <laughs> been in games in which the opponent sort of overwhelmed us in the first ten or fifteen minutes. We went one nil down, and you start to feel like okay, like. We are holding on, but we're making it happen. And even then, you don't really, like, it's more panicky. It's more like, okay, he blocked that challenge. Oh, he blocked that challenge. And, like, you don't have that level of confidence in, like, okay, no, we're moving the ball. We're playing our game. It feels like you're in a reactive approach. And Mm -hmm. I say that just to say that then you look at that free kick take from Neymar, and it is just like, oh, they're just feeling it. Like, they're in the the zone. They are feeling confident. They're trying different stuff. They're laughing. They're high-fiving. Like, if you at Leipzig, that is the worst thing you can see. 
uh, second only to maybe the ball going in the back end of the net again, which it does in the 42nd minute, which is also probably the worst time they could have conceded a second goal. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's a good point about them laughing and high-fiving because Paris Saint-Germain at this stage of the competition typically look look quite fretful. There are a lot of egos, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of peacocks strutting with their feathers <laughs> out. And it wasn't, that just wasn't the vibe of this game, was it? They were a unit in this mm-hmm. game and, and a very impressive one at that. And yeah, when you saw that second goal go in, which was what, just before um, half-time, Another indication this wasn't going to be Ebi Leipzig's, uh, or Ebi Leipzig, as the uh, German pronunciation goes. Um, it wasn't going to be their day with the, with the goalkeeper making that horrendous error to, uh, to put the ball back at the feet of the Paris Saint-Germain yeah. attack. And this was one, one of the things that PSG did so well in this mm-hmm. game was the front three just relentlessly pressing, pressing at all times and putting pressure on the, on the Leipzig back line and, on, and indeed in on the keeper and sort of forcing this error here as well uh, to, to get that second goal. And could, should, we take, should we take maybe half an hour to 45 minutes to talk about that assist flick from Neymar for the goal to Angel Di Maria? Good we Lord, should. That I, was I, good. I first want to like double down on a thing you said there, which is that if you told me heading into this one with Keylor Navas being out with injury, with PSG having the history they've had in the Champions League, if you told me one of these teams is going to apply so much pressure on the other one that the goalkeeper will make a mistake, make an errant <laughs> pass, and the other team will capitalize and score, I would bet all my money that that was Leipzig, because that is a hallmark of the Leipzig system. I would not say that is the hallmark of PSG, and yet you're absolutely right. The front three, so aggressive in that press. And Leipzig, again, this is where I say, like, I don't feel like they saw that coming, that they don't really adjust to it. They don't have numbers back. They don't move into better support positions. And so it's very kind of staticky replays. And we should note that this sequence happens earlier in the game, where, again, it's kind of Galaxy getting the ball, not really knowing what to do. He makes an errant mistake. They're not necessarily punished for it, but it's a warning sign. They would have been punished for it if it weren't for the, the handball on Neymar. It goes in the back of the net, but it's correctly ruled out for a handball. But then we have this again, and I think credit to PSG for the effort, the running, causing that, pro- that pressure, causing those problems. But then we also see the other side of PSG there, which is then credit to Neymar for, yes, an absolutely ridiculous amount of skill and awareness and presence of mind and calmness in a very big pressure moment. Yeah, incredible. And obviously, uh, Anil Di Maria with a very good, intelligent finish there. And this team does seem to be a different beast with him back in the scene, doesn't yes. it? Uh, they're so much better with him having returned uh, from suspension. Uh, his sort of the, the dead balls, obviously, which we saw from the first goal, this lovely finish, just the general intelligence he shows on the field. He really, really compliments that front three and obviously is a, a very important part of it. And uh, I, I think with that front three in place for the final, they're going to be in ver- uh, pretty good stuff. I'm, I'm not going to tip yeah. my hand on who if they can think they're going to win that final necessarily, but um, yeah, just just Di Maria and uh, and Marquinhos and Kimpembe, so all, all, not quite the spine, but those three positions I thought were, mm-hmm. were really 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 strong for PSG today. Yeah, and so then PSG get that second goal. They're ahead in the 42nd minute, which I would argue is pretty much the worst time to concede a second goal if you're Leipzig. Because oh, yeah. to what I was saying earlier, if you do feel like, okay, we're not necessarily playing our game, but we've stopped the bleeding, we've calmed things down, we just got to get to halftime, it's only 1-0, we can make a few adjustments, that is a thing that we can 
certainly turn around. And if you have that mindset, and if you're Julian Nagelsmann even, and you've started to make your tactical adjustments and prepared for what you're going to say at halftime, and then you concede a goal so late in the first half in that fashion, that was when I was like, barring PSG completely collapsing and Leipzig coming out more electrified than we've seen them, I, I think this one is over. And we do get a, a, a third goal, a killer, fairly early on in the second half. But yeah, I think that yeah. was sort of a backbreaker, both for the technical skill and what that showed about PSG, but also their sort of their game plan, their approach, causing Leipzig problems and seeing the frustration on the Leipzig players' faces, seeing them throw up their hands. And you just didn't get that idea like, oh, this is a unified team that are going to fight back from this. It felt like the situation is kind of getting to them. They haven't been in this sort of pressure before, as a unit at least, and now they're having to confront it. Well, let's see what they do at halftime. At halftime, they make a double change. We have Patrick Schick and Forsberg come on, and Cuckoo mm. and Denny Olmo go off, which I was sort of sad by because I've enjoyed what both of those two players have done in this tournament, but I also can't say I was surprised. Leipzig change up the shape a little bit. They're in more of a, I think, 5-3-2 defensively. They try to get numbers uh, forward into more of like uh, a 4-4-2 at times, yes. uh, but it doesn't really have that much of an impact and then it certainly doesn't impa- have an impact when you once again shoot yourself in the foot or maybe it was uh, a mystery person shot Mukele in the foot and that's why he fell down so easily. Ryan, did you see I don't know how many times you've watched this. I've watched it enough to say that I don't think there was much contact, but I wouldn't say that with extreme confidence. So have you seen anything that makes you feel like, oh, this should have been given as a free kick? First time around, was it, it was Herrera who was closest to him, I think, wasn't yeah. it? And it, it did look like he'd been felled by him, but the mm-hmm. more I saw it, the more I thought he just slipped. Um, yeah. And also, not only did he slip, but he had the humiliation of playing uh, one burnout yes. on side for, for, for nodding the goal in as well from that slip. So a double humiliation for him there. Uh, not great stuff. And just go, just go back to um, conceding a goal just before half time. That is probably one of the worst times to concede a goal, uh, apart from maybe... 89th minute but yeah. <laughs> um uh, so it is what was worse doing that conceding that goal just before you go in at half time um or the fact that Julian Nagelsmann took his jacket off at that point because the the out the ensemble just got a lot worse I thought for taking <laughs> well, the jacket off and one of the best descriptions I'm apologizing because I don't I can't remember who said it but someone said on Twitter is that when he took the jacket off he looked like a wrestler in court <laughs> He did. That's. I laugh because I didn't see that, but I know exactly what they mean. And I agree with it. I also think uh, it was 26, 27 degrees Celsius, I think is what I saw, which yeah. I don't know, but I know that means hot, or at least decently hot. And mm-hmm. he's wearing like a dark suit, and that's going to make you sweat. But when your team goes 2-0 down and you go from like, kind of prowling the sidelines to sitting in a seat and taking your jacket off, it's not a great look. It doesn't really instill confidence. <laughs> it doesn't make you feel like, oh, he's really figuring this one out. Instead, it looks like he is trying to figure this one out. Yeah. Uh, and he does make those adjustments, so maybe he thought he did. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that taking the jack- jacket off was necessarily the way to go. And certainly having your player slip, fall, do whatever he did, in, in the, as is the case here, uh, probably not also part of the plan. And maybe if we want to give Mokele a little bit of credit, we could say, like, maybe there's a little bit of contact. Maybe it's one of those where he's, like, turning at an angle. I know this sounds like I'm trying to explain it away, but, like, there are those moments in soccer where there can be just the slightest bit of contact, but it can, but it can cause that problem. I do think, though, even if there were contact, he sort of does that, like, oh, obviously I'm getting a foul here fall that we've seen people do. Usually you see it done in the box, but a lot of times it's that, like, I know there's going to be a foul, so I'm just going to fall over because I don't feel like running anymore almost. And then that foul is not given. And 
I think that maybe explains why he assumes it's coming, but maybe also in the back of his head isn't sure if he's going to get it. And then when it doesn't come, I think he's he's protesting so in such a frustrated fashion that he's not focused on getting back up and making sure he's keeping that off sideline. And I loved Jermaine Janus, who was doing the color commentary. Just sort of being like, oh, this is definitely coming back. Like, uh, Juan Bernard is miles offside. There's no, oh, wait, nope, there's Mikel. Never mind. Because yeah. <laughs> it is the case that, like, it absolutely looked like, I think many people were thrown by this one, that it looks like, oh, he's miles offside, except that Mukele all the way near the touchline is keeping everybody on by a good six or seven yards. So yeah. I think he's going to feel doubly bashful uh, for allowing that one. Maybe Neymar feels a little bashful as well for trying to score that one. Where are you on that one with Neymar? <laughs> Getting the touch when it was already a yeah. over the line. Oh, I love it. I, 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 a plus for effort for Neymar there. Uh, I, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with that. Nor but. do I, man. I saw people sort of being like, oh, he's the kid. Like the one I saw that, that sort of hit home was uh, it's he's the kid who doesn't do any work on the group project, but then says, <laughs> oh, let me be the one to email it. Like, But I, I just think if you're in a Champions League semifinal and you haven't made it to the final before, you're going to do everything you can and you want to make sure that ball crosses the line. We have seen those moments where a player does that and then they are the one who's offside, but this was not the case. Uh, and it doesn't really matter because it's Juan Bernat with the goal. It's another great ball in from Angel Di Maria. And that's in the 56th minute. At that point, I'm not going to lie, my focus went way down in this game. I was uh, tweeting a little bit. I think I was texting with you a little bit because at that yep. point, 3-0, it sort of felt like even if Leipzig pull one back, I'm going to probably end up chalking that one up to PSG sort of taking their foot off the gas. And in the end, Leipzig don't. So it never really seemed in doubt from that point. Not that it really ever seemed in doubt from that 13th minute. Yeah, 100%. That was that was definitely the point where my attention waned a little bit more from the game. I completely agree with you there. That that moment coming out of half-time until that goal, that was when Leipzig were their best yeah. probably, wasn't mm-hmm. it? That was when as as we as we've covered that they made the change up. They put two up front and l- looked like they were a little bit more dangerous. They could handle PSG a little bit more in that brief 11-minute window. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, not quite enough for them. They they would just PSG would just better in every yep. area of the field. And even if Paredes was a weak link in midfield, he wasn't weak enough. And no. just, just as I've said before, full credit to PSG here because they had RB Leipzig's number completely in this game. Yeah. And, and I would say as like final notes on this game that Leipzig obviously did not want to see this end 3-0. I don't think this was in any way the game they were expecting to play. But it's also a team that are sort of like exist to have new players come in and sell on players. I don't think this is sort of like, I certainly don't think this is the end of like an era for this team and now they've got to completely change it up. I think this is sort of a like, you guys made it all the way to the Champions League semifinal. You should be very proud of that and you should grow from that and learn from that. And I believe this team will. I also think to your point that you have a team in PSG who have spent the amount of money they have, that have the talent they have. Seems like Thomas Tuchel has gotten them to play a unified style of soccer and you're seeing the results there. So I think it's sort of credit to both teams for Leipzig for how they made it uh, this far in the competition and what they've done this season and how they've kind of embarrassed some other teams along the way. And then for PSG, it's credit for getting the result against Julian Nagelsmann, who's one of the best young minds in the game. Um, Mm. Maybe I would give him even more credit if he had played Tyler Adams earlier. We should mention him very briefly because I think we're legally obligated to do so. Uh, Tyler Adams comes on in the 64th minute. I thought 
did a great job of of like the hustle that you want when you have an impact sub coming on. Tried to tried to make some plays, tried to put out some fires, tried to cause some problems. Uh, has a nice little moment with Neymar where there's a pat on the stomach and a high five and a wink and things like that. But I don't really have a ton else to say about him aside from that it was pretty exciting for me, an American, to see an American playing in the Champions League semifinal the first time since Demarcus Beasley. I'm guessing for you, Ryan, an Englishman who's used to his countrymen making it to the Champions League semifinals, although not this time round. Maybe <laughs> not as big of a deal? Not specifically English people making it to the uh, semifinals, maybe English teams. But yes, um, I, I have to say, aside from getting a pat on the tummy from Neymar, did Tyler Adams do anything in this game? <laughs> um, I saw his effort uh, on display. I felt like he was sent in to run a lot and like put players under pressure. It wasn't, I'm oversimplifying it. It wasn't just like, go run and try stuff. That's a Jurgen Klinsmann instruction. I think he was sent <laughs> in to be a disruptor, to kind of try to motivate and reinstill that high press and, and cause PSG more problems to disrupt what they were trying to do further up the field. I think he did that well enough. I liked what I saw there. I don't think Leipzig really put together enough of an attacking performance consistently to say like, oh yeah, he came in and changed things and was this impact like goal scoring threat. Yes, he sort of scores in the last game, but even then it takes a pretty big deflection. Um, so I don't think of him as being the person you're bringing in to sort of like, uh, turn the game around and pull three goals back. If anything, I think in the 64th minute, 3-0 down, he comes on for Kevin Campbell. That felt more of a, hey, you've had a really strong season. I want to make sure you get at least uh, an appearance in this game because you've earned it, more yeah. so than I'm bringing you on to see if we can maybe pull it back in the final 30 minutes. Yeah, three goals, please, Tyler. Three goals, please. <laughs> maybe more. Uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I was fair. just pretty disappointed in RB Leipzig in general yeah. in this game. I can't think of one player I thought had a good game in that team. Um, and I hope I'm not being too harsh in no, saying I don't think, that. Honestly, no, I, I, I look down that roster, I look at the subs that came on, and, and yeah, I'm with you. I think like the best you could say is like, yeah, he was fine. But I think for every single one of those, there are the moments where like he should have made better contact there. They were overrun a little bit. They seemed confused at times. Their discipline wasn't what we've come to expect. So, yeah, I, I think this was basically Leipzig picking the worst possible time to have a, a bad performance in the Champions League. And I think it was PSG coming in motivated and ready. And we see the result. And now we'll see them in the final against either uh, Bayern Munich or Lyon. Not who we thought would be there. We're going to talk a little bit mm. more about Manchester City, who we thought might be there and did not end up being uh, in the final or in the semifinal, that is. I should also apologize to Leon fans because I very much dismissed uh, Leon's chances of making it the way they did. Uh, Joe and Daryl talked about that game on the weekend edition of the Total Soccer Show and everything that went on there. So you can check that out to see how Leon made it past Man City. But before we talk about Man City, before we talk about Barcelona, we're going to talk a little more Lionel Messi as well. We should talk about today's sponsor it's artifact artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life you can think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want uh i am in the process of creating an artifact about parenting i've talked about this a couple different times on the show uh but mm -hmm. it is a really easy process uh G george watched me fill out the form uh to, to see how easy it was uh and to to get any feedback on it so that was interesting to have george in my ears as i was filling it out but it is really nice you basically invite the people you want to be involved you give a little bit of background about why you're trying to do this or why you're commissioning it or what the idea is behind it and they take it from there it's a very simplified process 
It's a really cool idea, artifact, and capturing. Mm-hmm. You can use it to, uh, as you say, to do, do something about parenting. You can mm-hmm. capture your family history. You can talk about your friends. You can give it as a birthday gift, a wedding gift, an anniversary gift. Uh, personally, I'm actually going to make one about Eric Maxim Chupomoting being in the Champions <laughs> League final. Um, I've, I've got this theory that he's going to be the Divock Origi of, uh, of that final. Oh, man. Is it just going to be Stoke fans wondering why he's good now and not then? Maybe I should expand the artifact to Stoke players who've made the Champions League final. It'd be a very long episode if I do that. but uh. It would. You'd have to interview a lot of people. Uh, I think, yeah, t- time would add up. Uh, but if you did want to do that, Ryan, I know a way that you could get $40 off. When you, listeners, or Ryan, are ready to make an artifact of your own, you can use the code TSS to get $40 off your first artifact. You go to heyartifact.com, use code TSS for $40 off. Thank you, very much to Artifact for sponsoring today's episode, for making everything very simple, and for giving Ryan an opportunity to learn all about Stoke and why things didn't go well. I look <laughs> forward to that episode. Uh, but for now, I look forward to talking a little bit about... Let's go with Manchester City first, and we'll close that with Barcelona. Ryan, I think you were probably in the same boat as I was, that we expected Man City to maybe have some issues with Leon, have some trouble dealing with it, and then eventually find their way through. Obviously, we were both very much incorrect. So first of all, uh, apologies again for being arrogant and being foolish. Uh, what do you think went wrong for Manchester City? You said earlier that like did Nagelsmann do a pep did he overthink this did he get it wrong Daryl and Joe felt like pep did not overthink it but maybe just made a few decisions a few lineups that just kind of didn't necessarily work out in the end I might even be oversimplifying that because I did feel like he made some strange choices what would you say of that performance yeah, I think I'm completely with you. I think he he did make some strange choices. I think the the narrative of Pep overthinking these kind of games sort of came to pass, didn't it? I, I, that's not he's not a stranger to doing that kind of thing, you know. Um trying to match the opposition in terms of using using a back 3, mm-hmm. uh not something that Pep does very often. Um you know, having like Cancelo playing out on the left and just just a, a, a very unusual Manchester City team in the context of Manchester City. And we we should have seen this coming to a certain extent because Leon did beat Manchester City right. in last year's Champions League, yep. which was, by the way, nearly two full calendar years ago, and it was last year's competition. But they beat them in the group stage last year and gave them a lot of problems. And I think I attributed that to the my, my classic line of uh, Fernandinho not being in his usual position, mm-hmm. which, hey, wasn't in this one either. So maybe that was uh, something to do with it there. But um, I... I it may be lazy and easy to say that Pep overthinks things, but I think when you look at what happened here and when you look at um, the way he's set up, there's a lot of merit to it. Of course, there's other uh, extenuating factors, i.e. Raheem Sterling missing an open goal yeah, from a few yards that out. Didn't help. That did not that help. didn't help. That really didn't help. And sort of, you know, this is the kind of team... A team like Leon, who you know will sit back and uh, uh, and are very disciplined and are great at countering, this is the kind of team that Manchester City can lose to in the Premier League. I'm thinking of like a Crystal Palace, for yeah, example, someone who are set up very well and will do that to them. So that the, Leon, the French Crystal Palace, let's call them that. But uh, uh, you know they, they had a couple of really good star players in their midfield. Leon as well was a yeah. and Awar. I don't know fully. How I think Awa is what I've heard. Uh-huh. Let's go Awa. with that. Uh, but yeah, defending deep with the back five and encountering, which uh, seems to be City's kryptonite in some ways. So there, there is that. There are extenuating factors, but also I think Pep, uh, Pep done a Pep. 
And and then I would add, uh, I said this with Daryl yesterday, but I'll say it again. The lineup itself was confusing to me, not just the formation, but the fact that he goes with the back three, and then he mm. goes with, was it Rodri and Gundogan as his two holding midfielders? Yes. And, and I understand wanting like kind of defensive stability, but when you're playing a team like Leon, who you know are going to be bunkered, who you know are going to try to hit you on the break, I don't know why you wouldn't sort of plan for that and make sure that you've got enough pace and defensive mindset to handle that counterattacking threat, but then still have enough attackers to cause problems and keep possession and keep them sort of under threat. And I don't think that really only having three out-and-out attackers was the way to go, and I'm surprised they end up going that way. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I'm not trying to be mm-hmm. Captain Hindsight here, but that was surprising to me. So my question and then becomes Ryan what you're not I'm, I'm approaching this as though you're a Man City fan which you are not but you have written about Man City you know a decent amount about Manchester City and all the things that they do what are some things that you think they could do or how would you like to see them change it up in this offseason such as it is to uh, maybe finally make it to a Champions League final or win the Champions League next season or even just sort of challenge Liverpool or outright beat Liverpool to uh, win another Premier League title I've been thinking about this a lot and I think one of the issues we've seen this season, I think the reason they didn't win the Premier League was not having enough cover at centre-back. It was not replacing Vincent Company. It was having, I know I sound like a broken record, but having Fernandinho out of position and in the back when he doesn't, it's not his best position and he's 34 years old. And I think they've gone away to addressing that with getting Nathan Arke coming in and maybe they'll do a bit more defensive strengthening as well. But to actually sincerely answer the question, I don't know how much more they can do. They topped all of the metrics, basically, in the Premier League. Most goals, most possession, most uh, least goals conceded, and the most pass completion, 93.7% pass completion in the Premier League. It's insane. And, you know, basically, they didn't win league because of that first half of the season and, yeah. you know, the, the folly of not, not preparing the squad well enough with centre-backs and Liverpool being Liverpool. And... So that I mean, I I don't think they need to switch the formula up too much next yep. season when it comes to the domestic campaign and when it comes to the Champions League ca- campaign. Once again, keep on trucking, but maybe don't play a three at the back Christmas yeah. tree formation when you get to the quarterfinals. Maybe yeah. that's what he should do. However long he thought about this semifinal this time, just like stop thinking about it. Half, like half an hour less. That's all you need to do. Just don't <laughs> add that extra half an hour. Where you're like, you know what? Yeah, back three. Why not? Uh, <laughs> I, I think you're probably right that maybe. A little bit more defensive stability if there are any positions where he feels like he needs a little bit more depth, like sure, shore that up. But I also think there is something to be said for winning it, what, back-to-back seasons? It it takes a little bit of the pressure off. I think it takes a little bit of that momentum off for, for Man City. And now that they have not won it, I think Liverpool maybe will feel just a tiny bit of complacency. Like, like in terms of we've won it, there's no longer this big quest Maybe you're a little bit celebratory, and with the way the length of the season has been, maybe they're not quite as sharp to start. So I think you're right that it maybe is a little bit tighter next season just for sort of those minor reasons that end up being major factors. But if they do think it needs to be dramatically changed up, should we throw Lionel Messi in there? How do you feel about that? Interesting. Uh, so <laughs> we're transitioning to Leo Messi's future, sure. I guess, a little bit here. Uh, obviously, they are one of the clubs who we could go to. Uh, Messi's contract at Barcelona is up in 2021. So if they are going to get some money out uh, for him, now is the time for Barcelona. And it does seem, according to reports, he's expressed an interest in leaving, even though he's always said his master plan is, is to stay and then go back to uh, Rosario, uh, New York's old boys, um, mm. when he uh, when he reaches the autumn winter years of his career my my issue here is that it's not a manchester city move because 
they don't spend that much money on players. They particularly don't spend that much mon- money on players who are 33 years old. That is a very short-term play for a team who, for all their faults, don't make short-term plays, arguably, in the transfer market, says, uh, says Ryan, who witnesses <laughs> and buying Angelino and then immediately getting rid of him to uh, a yeah. different Champions League team <laughs> this season. So I, I take that back. But um, t- to that point... I don't think it's a good. It would be a good move for Manchester City. Although I would love to see Lionel Messi in the Premier League next season. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for them to do it. That's not saying they won't do it. But that leads to the next question: Where could he go? Who could possibly afford him? And if I look at the options, there's maybe three to four teams. Manchester City is a possibility. Paris Saint Germain is a possibility. Mm-hmm. I would not put it past them to to make a bid for him. And <laughs> Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar. Yes, uh, that's that's quite a front three, isn't it? It's not that's bad. quite incredible. It's not bad, it's not bad at all. Uh, Inter, Inter Milan have been talked about as a team who could maybe rate, uh, very much show their ambition by bringing him on board. Not sure if Conte is the right man uh, to take charge of yeah, Messi. I, I nixed that one yesterday for that exact reason. I cannot yeah. imagine it. Lionel Messi going in Con- Antonio Conte's system and being like, run? No, thank you. Yeah, I don't think he. Ta- I think in the dr- in the dressing room he would not take a Conte's guff for one second. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> the one I think might make most sense is Real Madrid. Oh boy, <laughs> that, that won't be controversial at all if that move went through. <laughs> I mean, we've seen it happen. We've seen that move happen before, and I just think they're the sort of team who would make that kind of move. Who would who would like making gestures with Galactico players and you know weakening a, a rival and strengthening yourself is a it's a bit of a Bayern Munich thing to do but Real Madrid are not above that kind of behavior also so as crazy as it sounds I think the most likely scenario is he stays at Barcelona yes. but if he is to go I think it's Real Madrid which would arguably make the most sense and he does as has been oft repeated have the what like 600 million euro release clause if he really were desperate to leave and Man City or maybe PSG found a way to make that work, not even like that number, but some number approximating that, I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe Barca would be more inclined. If it were Madrid, I think that they're asking for the full valuation uh, up front. So I think what that says and maybe where you are is that you're where Daryl and I are is that this feels more like he would be open to a move if things don't change, but he is more so saying he's open to a move to try to force change at Barcelona. We've talked a yes. little bit about that on the show. Um I think I got a couple things wrong, or at least one thing specifically wrong yesterday. Uh, the elections, I said, had been moved up by a year and three months. I was incorrect. I believe they've only been moved up by three months. So not that big of a concession from Bartomeu. Uh, we do know that Setien has gone. So there are changes happening there. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on what you think needs to happen at Barcelona or any players that you think just are maybe a little bit long in the tooth, maybe need to be shipped on to other – I keep saying greener pastures as though we're sending to a farm upstate <laughs> – I don't mean it like that. But like in watching the sort of collapse of Barcelona this season and how poorly things have gone, how bad the chemistry has been, I am just surprised because that's not a thing we've seen in a very, very long time for Barcelona. I'm wondering if you have that same level of surprise or if this is a thing that you've sort of seen coming. You could kind of see it coming throughout this season. They finished this. I think they deserved nothing less than that 8-2. It sounds harsh. They deserved nothing less than the denouement to the season they've had. Uh, They they seeded the title to Real Madrid with a fairly pathetic second half of the season. They've had so many off the field problems, you know, with the with the very messy firing of their manager in in January. Um, yep. They, they what quarterfinals of the Copa del Rey? They were out quarterfinals of uh, the Champions League. Uh, I think that's pretty par for the course for this yep. team, which just more and more and more relies on Leo Messi, and more and more and more 
shouldn't be relying on Luis Suarez, I would argue, because I don't think he's quite what he was, even though obviously he's come back from injury. What was, was that, April he came back from injury mm-hmm. or so? Um, and there's a lot of players here who are over 30. I think, am I right in thinking the average age is pushing on 30 of, this, of the team that, took, took by, uh, yeah. that played Bayern Munich? That would make sense. I mean, there's a lot of like, is Jordi Alba's time done? Is Sergio Busquets? It, seems, it almost seems blasphemous to ask these kind of questions of PK, of Busquets, of Alba, these mm-hmm. core players of this team. But it does seem like, I think there's, am I right in thinking there's only two or three players who aren't basically on the chopping block? I think it's Longley, Messi, and maybe one other, maybe Semedo or something like yeah. that. Even Suarez was not mentioned in that list of players. That oh, De Jong. De Jong. They, obviously, they want to build around yeah. De Jong. That's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's a given. But everyone else seems, you know, they, they could be replaced and arguably not missed. And I think they do need a bit of a revolution, but also I'm happy for them not to because it's very funny at the moment. It is. It is. I think also <laughs> one final thing for me on this one would be, uh, to your point about the age, like I saw a graphic of PSG sort of being built to win now, and they too have a decent amount of players who are around 30, over 30. 30 is not old. I'm 36. Uh, but <laughs> it is it is sort of in soccer years, you are a little bit like getting past your prime, unless you're Ronaldo, in which case, whoever knows. Lots on the same. Uh, but I think there's a difference with PSG is that they are clearly built to win now. That is their priority. Whereas this Barcelona team has been more so the team that has aged out and continued to age and it's more of a like natural byproduct than it is an intentional decision to get a little bit older. Yeah, they've been repairing the car rather than buying a new one at Barcelona. There we are. Well said. I got so animated I hit my mic and had to adjust it while Ryan was talking. Uh, Ryan, any other things you would like to say about car analogies or band analogies or kid analogies or anything else that we've talked about before we call this one uh, a a quit? A close? I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I would just like to drop one little point about the Champions League final. Um, I was very presumptuous about uh, Leon in a previous game as well, Taylor. I was very much in that boat. But if we get a Bayern Munich PSG final, I think that will be a very, very, very exciting prospect. That's not going to be a nil-nil at full time. I think we can safely say that. But also, it'll be a very Qatari final. Mm. Um, which is maybe it's not a great thing. Obviously, uh, um, the ownership of Paris Saint-Germain covers their Qatari relationship, but also Bayern Munich have a very strong relationship with Qatar as well. Lest we forget, they spend almost every mid-season break in Qatar. Uh, I think they're the, they're the official airline partner. They have Qatar Airways on their shirt sleeve, I believe. And also... Um, uh, Aldi, who uh, own 8.33% of the club, uh, Qatar owns 14.6% of Volkswagen, Audi's parent company. Wow. So lots of Qatari links in this final. Isn't modern soccer fantastic? So we're r- rooting for Leon PSG and Leon to win? Is that where we are then? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, the idea of Leon making it to the semifinal and potentially being in the final is already a surprise. Bayern Munich less so, PSG certainly. So I think we've already had some surprises. I'm guessing we will continue to do so. And when we do, Ryan Bailey will be back to talk about those. But for now, Ryan, thank you very much for talking about today's uh, Champions League clash between Leipzig and PSG. Congratulations to PSG. Commiserations to Leipzig. But congratulations to everybody else for getting to hear Ryan Bailey fresh back from vacation, no longer with his flip-flops on, (laughs) talking all things soccer. Merci beaucoup. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore.